and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Back on December 26th, 2021, Tom Job gave a message from Luke chapter 2. We had a recording issue, but I've gotten him back into the studio and he's re-recorded it. And so here it is now. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Since it's the new year, it's time to make that bucket list for 2022, which is kind of a new thing. Like for people to make a, like people will often make a bucket list for their senior year of college or bucket bucket list for this year. That's not really what a bucket list is. Like a bucket list classically is a list of all the stuff you want to do before you, you know, kick the bucket. Like everything that I want to do before I like, you know, die. Like there's, and there's tons of books about it. Like a hundred things to do before you die. A hundred places to go before you die. It's a super popular thing right now. Um, I'm not the dying part, but doing a bunch of stuff before you do that. And like number in the top three of both of those lists, places to go and things to do is go to the Grand Canyon, which I mean, that's just people think you that's just the thing you're supposed to do, which I did do that a few years ago. And I mean, this is really weird and it's something weird about me, but the Grand Canyon didn't really do it for me. But um, so I was looking at this one woman, she had written out a list of a hundred things that she wanted to do before she died. Like number three was see the Grand Canyon, of course. And then she wanted to learn Spanish. She wanted to see the sunset in Paris. And like number 17 was learn to fly a plane. Number 33 was swim with the sharks. Number 47 was pay off my school loans. Like at least before I die, pay those off. I mean, which if I had been making that list, I would have put learning to fly a plane and swimming with sharks. I would have made them like 98 and 99. And that way, if either one of those didn't go well, at least I did most of the other things on the list. And school debt, I would have put that like completely last. That way, if the sharks eat you, then somebody else has to eat your student loans. But 
the thing about bucket lists and having a bucket list is it gives you the impression that you can live like a fully accomplished life. Like I did everything that I wanted to do in my life. I have finished my list. And I've learned that it doesn't really work that way. As a lot of you know, for the last five months, I've been in like a hospital chaplain certification program in a big hospital in Knoxville. So that when I get ready to retire, like from Triple C in a couple of years, if I want to go on and do that, then I'm at least certified for it. And what we did like for the last five months, like Monday was always classes from eight to four. And then on the other days, they would give me floors in the hospital where I could visit patients. And I just knock on the door, stick my head in and say, hey, I'm Tom. I'm one of the chaplains here. And I'm just going around pestering people. And then they would laugh if, I mean, if they were up to that. And then they would say, oh man, come on in. And I'd go in and sit down and maybe for 10 or 15 minutes, or maybe for an hour and 20 minutes where they would just tell you everything. My goal was always that the person would feel like at the end of our time together, hey, I have one more friend at the end of this morning than I started out with today. But sometimes it was so much more. Sometimes you could hear the invisible kingdom of God cracking all around you, crackling like all around you. And I would think after a prayer said and a few tears shed, wow, I did not see that conversation coming. One thing I learned in visiting people in the, in the hospital that I had really never met in the hospital is that when a person is a patient in the hospital, she or he is less of you know, like a Republican or a Democrat or any of the other things that people use to identify themselves. And they're just more vulnerable. And therefore, they're just more human. They're just human. And if I went in there, not as the big pastor or as the big hospital chaplain, but just as a human, if I went in and I was just human, we would connect there. And it was awesome. But one of the, so one of the other jobs that I had when I was in this program is that we would take turns being like the overnight chaplain. So on Monday, sometimes I'd go to class until four. And then after four, I'd be the overnight chaplain until eight in the morning. And a few times, I was the only chaplain there from like 8 a.m. on Saturday till 8 a.m. on Sunday. And we had this pager that would beep whenever, you know, someone needed the chaplain to pray with them or someone needed the chaplain to talk to them or someone needed us to help them in some way. And whenever big emergencies came, like the kind that helicopters bring, for example, the pager would, bring, would beep. And if I was like the overnight chaplain, I would have to go to down there and I would have to chart what happened so I would be able to talk to the family. So sometimes I'd be running all over this hospital at three in the morning thinking, what am I doing? We go to bed at a quarter to 10 every night. But I learned, I've learned so much. Like, I learned that lots of times when somebody 
wakes up and they don't didn't you know they didn't really realize that their day was going to end in the hospital you can kind of connect some dots between choices they made of things to that they were going to buy or things that they would do and why they ended up in the hospital i mean nobody makes you buy a motorcycle or you could have paid someone to chainsaw something rather than do it yourself And retirees need to find something else to do besides climbing on the roof of their house to fix something. Tina says, it's best to use the right muscle group when you have to get on your roof, like the muscle group that's 18 to 20 years old. But a lot of times, you can't connect any dots between anything that a person chose to do or and why they're in the hospital. I mean, anyone can get hit by someone who is driving and texting. Anyone at any age can get Crohn's disease. Anyone at any age can get cancer. It happens every day. After a while, I had the urge to say, if I was saying goodbye to my friends at the end of the day, hey, see you later, have a great night. Oh, by the way, remember, you may find out you have leukemia today. Just be ready for that. Because someone today in Knox County or in Blount County or in Sevier County or in Anderson County is going to find out that they do. Lots of times when something happens to someone and they wind up, you know, in the the hospital in a serious situation, lots of times people become kind of spiritual accountants, you know, doing the spiritual math when they hear that somebody got bad news. Well, it makes sense. I mean, they smoke the whole time or they dip the whole time or, well, they're 78 years old. But life-changing bad news can come to anyone at any time. It can come to anyone. And it can come at any time. And if Jesus doesn't come back, it it will come to all of us. It happens to people who have like no faith. And it happens equally as often and equally as bad to people who have a full and a deep personal faith. I mean, there's one, I was reading a book recently by um, a young mom and um, college professor who was writing about her diagnosis of having stage four colon cancer. And she was talking about, you know, this was after her initial time in the hospital after initial surgeries and major surgeries and doing chemotherapy and everything. And this time in the hospital, they told her that when she could walk down to the end of the hall or walk well without, you know, wobbling, then she would be able to go home. So she was practicing and she, so she found out, so she was hooked up to all these phlebotomy, these bags and stuff. 
connected to, like her, um, to like her phlebotomy, the needles in her arm and stuff. But she found out because those things have wheels that she could walk down the hall with her phlebotomy stand. And then she heard that down in the lobby, there was a Starbucks. And so one day she just wrapped her hospital gown real tight around the back, you know, so that it went, you know, 370 degrees rather than 355, which it does sometimes. And and she went down, all the way down the hall, got in the elevator and went down with her phlebotomy stand and her gown down into the lobby to go to Starbucks. And she got a coffee at Starbucks. And then she decided to visit, while she was out and about, she would visit the gift shop down the lobby. And she was looking at the books that they were selling in the bookstand, and almost all of the books were books by, you know, Joel Olstein and just kind of that, you know, your best life now and that kind of stuff. Well, she got all the books. She took them out of the book rack and stacked them on the floor. And then she stood there and just said as loud as she could, I need to see the manager. I need to see the manager. And the girl, there was a young college girl that was kind of running the counter. And she she said, excuse me, can I help you? And she just said, I need to see the manager. And she said, okay. And she got the manager, a middle-aged woman who came and said, can I help you? And she said, yes. And she pointed to the pile of books on the floor and said, you cannot sell these books in this place. She said, excuse me? She said, you can't sell these books to people like me. Because these books are saying that if you have a certain kind of faith or a certain amount of faith, you can make your life go the way you want it to go. And she said, that is not true. And it is especially not true for people like me. You can't sell books that say, it is my fault that I am in this hospital. And the manager said, okay, yeah, I see your point. And she said, she went down there the next week and all those books were gone, but they had Joel Olstein's new book in there in their place. But one, you know, just knowing that, like one thing I did find out and just in in working in the hospital is that when you go to visit visit patients, you know, if you're kind and a little bit bossy, almost anyone will let you pray with them. Like if you just said, hey, you know, if you talk and chat and laugh and stuff and then said, hey, can I pray for you right now? Almost everyone will say yes and sure, go right ahead. And you can just pray for them. But one thing I also noticed is that sometimes, like if you're talking to someone who does have a, a, just a deep personal faith of their own and a full and a deep love for Jesus of their own, <coughs> they'll say, and you say, hey, can I pray for you right now? They'll say, yes, please. I was hoping you would do that. And one thing that they'll often do, I notice this, is when you get ready to pray, they'll reach out to get your hand. You know, so many times I've had people like even at Triple C say, hey, will you go to the hospital or will you go to the nursing home and pray with my grandma or pray with my granddad. I'm concerned about them. Sometimes people have concerns that their grandparents haven't been 
you know, maybe as vocal about their personal faith in Jesus as they would have hoped. And I think they know the Lord, but I'm not exactly sure. Anyway, I'll often be able to report to them, hey, I went up to pray with your grandma, or I went up to pray with your granddad. And when I asked him, hey, could I pray for you right now? He said, please. And he reached out to take my hand. That's a very good sign. So anyway, in Luke chapter 2, we read about, you know, about a month and a half after the very first Christmas morning, and the baby Jesus and, you know, his mom and stepdad, they took him to the temple to dedicate him. And there was, so there was this, so Luke tells us about this old man. Only Luke tells us about this man named Simeon. And it says he was, he loved God, you know, he was righteous and devout. The, the Greek word for devout is kind of an unusual word. It's a word that means to be taken, to be well taken hold of. In other words, God had taken hold of his heart and he just, he loved the Lord and just really had given his life to him. Uh, years later, uh, like th- about three decades later, there would appear this person who was a first prophet in four centuries named John the Baptist. And he was going to be telling everybody, the king is here, the king is here, our awaited king is here, the kingdom of God is coming. Are you ready? If the kingdom of God were going to start today, would you be ready? And people were like, I'm not, I'm, I, wow, that is amazing news. I really am not ready. There's some things I need to, and so John the Baptist said, okay, it's time to rethink this stuff and repent and let's get everybody, you know, I'll dunk you in the river and it'll be kind of a way of, let's get, start over. And so, and thousands and th- literally thousands and thousands of people flocked because they weren't ready for the king to come. But Simeon, if, if he had been living back then, he just would have waved to him as they walked down the road because he was totally ready. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And God had told him that he would not die before he saw the, the promised king. And so, the, and so um, oh, so when it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, I mean, so that, that it just basically means... He was waiting for the time when the king would take over the world, the promised Messiah would take over the world (coughs) and make this world into what it always should have been but never has been. And it says like in a lot of places, like in Isaiah 52 and Psalm 96, it says that when that happens, the the mountains are going to burst into singing and... Trees are going to clap their hands. Like if it was in the dead of winter, like trees are going to just like burst into bloom and they're going to clap their hands and burst into singing. And the heavens are going to respond to the earth. Like maybe it'll be filled, the skies will be filled with angels singing. And, you know, and that's what he was, he was waiting for. Like the, um, a, a British hymn writer named Isaac Watts, one time he wrote a hymn, I think it was like 1719, a hymn based on Psalm 96 about how when the king comes to take over our world, it's and the mountains begin to sing and the trees begin to sing and the heavens burst into singing. And he said, and heaven and nature will sing. Heaven and nature will sing. And people have always just joyed to the world. The king has come and people always assumed 
that that was talking about Christmas Day, but he wasn't thinking about Christmas Day. He was thinking about that other day. But I think in Simeon's mind, maybe it was just all kind of one day, all kind of clumped together. So he was waiting for that day when the earth and heavens just be burst into singing because the king has come. And I think in his mind, what he was waiting for was maybe just like all of a sudden one day we'd hear like a thousand trumpets and angels just flying down the street in formation, blowing their trumpets. And behind them would come the Messiah, come to take over the world on a white horse. And he would just ride his white horse to the temple, ride up the steps of the temple, and at the top step, just rear back like the lone ranger. And that that's what he was waiting for. And then one day, this little teenage couple came into the temple and the spirit of God said that's him with a baby and the spirit of God said that's him and he's like that's the Messiah that young teenage guy with the baby no the baby and he thought the baby I've never thought of the Messiah as a baby but wait a minute wait a minute he's going to have to grow and when he grows up and takes over this world, I won't be here. I mean, I don't know if Simeon was 70 years old, 80 years old. He wasn't going to make it to 110. And I think that he could, he could have very easily been disappointed. This is not, this is not the hope I had. I wanted to see it. But somehow or other, he wasn't disappointed at all. He asked the young mom, may I hold the baby? And somehow in her heart, she had a complete and total peace about it. And she let this old man hold the baby And he said, Nunc dimiti, now I can depart. I can be released in peace because I am holding my salvation. And this baby is my savior. And he is going to hold on to me. And leaving this old achy body that aches all the time, and he was probably a widower, and he was probably alone. He said, leaving this old world is like being released from prison for me. There's a place. It, you know, in the Old Testament, it doesn't really talk a lot about what it's like after you die. It, it takes the New Testament to talk about that. Like, but it was, so the New Testament says, what it says, it says a lot, 
And then it doesn't say a lot about what it's going to be like when people who love the Lord just leave this world. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. <clears throat> it's never entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Like you can't even imagine it. There's a song people used to sing, I can only imagine. Well, you can't. You cannot. You cannot imagine it. It's beyond our ability to imagine. Somebody said that it was kind of like the reason people don't, if they could, if they only knew but, you know, of course, we don't know what it's going to be. But if we only knew, we wouldn't, we would, we couldn't wait to get there. But he said it's kind of like a baby, like in growing inside its mother's uterus before, uterus before he's born. And it's just like, why would I want to leave here? It's so warm and cuddly. And I eat through my belly button. And, um, you know, I can hear my mom, you know, talking to me during the day saying stuff like, but, it, of course, that baby has never seen its mother's face, never been kissed, never seen a sunset, never tasted chocolate. It has no idea how awesome it is if that baby knew how awesome it is. Outside, he wouldn't be able to wait to get outside. <coughs> There's a place in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul said, that the body, the life, the experience that we're going to have in heaven compared to the life that we have in this world is, is, is analogous to the difference between a seed and the plant that grows from it. So if in this world you're like an apple seed or you're an acorn or you're a coconut, in heaven you're going to be an apple tree in blossom. You're going to be a palm tree on a tropical sunset. You're going to be a 140-foot oak tree compared to an acorn. It's that much more amazing. You know, one time the Apostle Paul got to go to heaven and he said, I can't even talk about it. We don't even have words to talk about it. G.K. Chesterton said, if everybody spent five seconds in heaven, they would never get anything done the rest of their life because they would just be laughing the whole time. He said, we'd be ridiculous. It doesn't really talk about that that much. In the Old Testament, but somehow Simeon knew. This isn't my home here. You know, I've had experiences. I, I, I don't know if you've had experiences where, you know, you were just somewhere and all of a sudden it was just so overwhelmingly beautiful. Like I remember one Saturday afternoon and I was running in the hills above Florence, Italy, like al along an old Roman road, and people were cutting the trimmings of their grapevines, and that just that delicious smell, it's a beautiful smoke that that makes, and the, and the apple trees were in blossom, and the sun, it was a bright, sunny day, and, it, and I was looking out over the city of Florence, and it was so beautiful. I was just almost in a state of ecstasy with how, how, with how beautiful it was, but there was a place in my heart that told me, nope, nope, this is not it. It's going to be better. You're not home. Yeah, I one time, I remember a, a morning, a 6.15 in the morning, and I was running along the hills above Naples, above Napoli in Italy, and the full moon was on the Bay of Naples. The orange trees were in blossom. There was a wisp of smoke coming off of Monte Vesuvio, Mount Vesuvius. It was so beautiful. But I thought, nope. In my heart, I knew, nope, this is not it. Even in my own 
house, like early in the mornings when I run out on the country road and I'm coming back and the sun is just coming up and there's this field and like there's tall grass in it. And at the end of every blade of grass, there's a dew drop and it just is lit up like a diamond. And it just makes me want to cry. And just because of the beauty and the ecstasy of it. And in my heart, I know, nope, this isn't it. This isn't it. This is not our home. We're going home somehow. Simeon knew that. He could have been disappointed, but he knew, nope, I'm being released because of the baby I hold, who is going to hold on to me. I'm going home because of him. You know, there was a, there's a place in the, I don't know what you call them. It's kind of like a bolt of, a bolt of like inner understanding or something that people would get in the Old Testament. But there was like in Psalm 73, the, the guy that was in charge of leading choral music, and he was just in, in the temple, and he was just having a terrible day, super disappointed. Why does God always kick in my rear? I feel like life is so hard, and I try to walk with him, and I try to be what's right, do what's right, be righteous, all that. And people that are stinking wicked, I mean, their life is awesome. Like, God, they have everything. They don't have any problems like I do. It, it, just, it just feels like to walk with God, it's just, it's almost futile to do it because it doesn't make your life better. And then, so all of a sudden, something changed for him. And I don't know what it was, but I think it was the fact that he got to the temple. And it says in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that the temple in Jerusalem was kind of a 3D map of heaven. It's not the place. It's just a map. You know how boring a map is compared to the place. But it's kind of like saying, yeah, this is a map of heaven in a certain sense. And I don't know whether he thought, well, why would I, why would God give us a map if we weren't going to go there? And then, it's, and then he was like, wait a minute, I'm going to heaven. He was like... You, t you are always, how could I be so bitter? You're always with me. You take me by my hand. You hold my hand when I'm walking through this world. But afterwards, you will take me into heaven. You're going to receive me into glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And on this earth, I don't want anything I'm going home. One day I'm going to be home. I don't know how he knew these things, but he did. There's a place in the book of Job, the oldest book in the Bible, like older than the book of Genesis and the book of Deuteronomy before Moses, before Abraham, Job lived. And there, so, and he had like, you know, a million terrible things happened to him and his friends were like, this must be something you did. You know, like you, you need to kind of probably fess up, you know, what did you do that make this happen to you? And Job was like, no, I mean, I, we're all, we all mess up. This is not about that because if, if, this, if that's what this is, we're all hosed because we all mess up. But he said, nope. In chapter 16, he says, I have an advocate on high, my intercessor, and my advocate is my friend, and he intercedes for me before God as someone would advocate for a friend. And a couple of chapters later, he said, I know my Redeemer lives. And I will see him in my flesh on this earth. 
And he's just talking about Jesus, my advocate in heaven. In the book of Hebrews, it says, everything I've been trying to tell you is this. We have an advocate in heaven. Job knew it before anybody knew it. How did he know? I don't know. I don't know how they knew these things, but they did. I don't know how Simeon knew, but he turned to the mother of the baby and said, this baby is going to grow up and one day is going to cause your heart intense pain. But also the destiny of multitudes is going to be determined by what they believe about themselves and about this baby. And also, I know this, I am going home. That's what I want to do. I mean, that's, that's the way I want to do it. Like, I, it, when I get to a place that could be confusing or disappointing, I want to say, nope, I do know three things. That because of the intense pain that Jesus went through, That was a pain to the heart of his mother and a pain to the heart of his heavenly father when he bore all of the mess that I did, which he did do, and I do know that, that he paid for me. That my destiny has been determined because of what I believe about me, that I'm a mess, and what I believe about him, that he's my savior. And I know I'm not home yet. That's why this world keeps breaking my heart. I know I'm going home. When it comes time for me to get ready to do it, if I have time to get ready to do it, I want a heart like that. I want a heart filled with peace. Maybe, maybe even a heart filled with joy. Maybe I'll be able to be cheerful about it. On Christmas night, all Christians sing to hear the news the angels bring on christmas night all christians sing to hear the news the angels bring news of great joy news of great mirth news of our merciful king's Should men on earth be sad Since our Redeemer has made us glad Then why should men on earth be sad Since our Redeemer has made us glad When from our sin He set 
us free All for to gain our liberty When sin departs before His grace Then life and health come in its place Sandy parts before his grace, then life and health come in its place. Angels and men with joy may sing, all for to see the Thank you. 